This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Craig, what? Happy Easter. Oh, no. <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And he's a big pun-making jerk. I can't believe you. I can't. Did you eat any good candy? No, I've mostly had... Did you co- die any eggs? No, I've mostly had coffee today. I ate some... What are you sc- doing to celebrate Easter? I ate some scrambled eggs, and I'm going out to a nice dinner. What did you do? I dyed eggs and ate cookies. <laughs> <laughs> were the cookies inside the eggs? No, they were they were just regular cookies. They were like a kind of a sugar cookie with multicolored sprinkles embedded all over them. So they weren't mm. like explicitly Eastery, but they did they were very like Easterish. Ooh. Eastery and very springy. It's also and Yeah, one of the eggs that I made looks like the Pringle man. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> also it looks like an egg with it's mustache like, uh, and hair. It was Purim recently right and our friend sophie gave me some hamantashen so i'm excited to eat that Ooh, that's um, exciting you know it's not just about the bunny and the candy and the cookies andrew there are other things to eat <laughs> listen keep the east and easter all right <laughs> i don't know what that means but like bunnies hop from the east yeah i think yeah it means. the land of the hopping bunny that's exactly oh, how it my. works Goodness, what's what's going on? You write a book this week, right? Yeah, so I've been reading Les Mis, which was uh, recommended to us by a patron donor, Kelly, I believe, many moons ago. And it, lo and behold, it's taking a long time to get through Les Mis. So yeah. with a wedding coming up and so many Easter foods to eat, I decided that I needed to read something for this week's show mm-hmm. so that we like, you know, had a show. Right. right. And I will say, like... Many, 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 many thanks to our Patreon donors who keep the show humming. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of the books recommended lately have been pretty long, and we're not complaining. But you will need to wait a little bit longer to see those shows. Yeah. So there's like a Murakami book that got recommended. Oh, there's man. some other ones. Yeah, uh, they're all pretty long. So we we might be uh, taking a little like a short little break to read some shorter things in the next few weeks because Craig's getting married and because that wedding like it's like it's all about me too. Like I'm gonna be there. <laughs> Doing a bunch of stuff. I hate you so much. So, uh, yeah, just uh, just keep that in mind going forward. We haven't forgotten about you. We are going to get to it. So, Craig, what did you read this week? I read The Rover by Afra Ben. Uh, okay. And it is a play from the... The Restoration Era. It's a restoration comedy. It's an English play. And Afra Ben is... Or Afra Bain. I'm going to go with Afra Ben. Uh, Afra Ben. Is largely regarded as the first professional female playwright at least in england um Mm -hmm. and certainly in the in the english-speaking world i think sure uh and i so my my knowledge of this play came from the drama classes that i took in college where kenyan being a liberal arts school they always had to balance out like yes you are here to study drama not all of you are going to go on broadway so we need you to take tests on things and like earn good grades and that usually means uh memorizing the names of plays you'll never read, like The Rover. So <laughs> so I'd heard about it as coming out of the Restoration era, and I knew that Afra Ben was the first woman playwright. What I did not know until recently was that she was also like a spy. Yeah. Did you read up on any of that? I read part of it. Okay. Um, I, I know that she was a spy who was like high, employed by Charles II. Yes. I know that... Very little is known of her early life, possibly because she circulated a bunch of like intentionally fake stories to obscure things. Yeah. But her time as a spy in uh, Antwerp mm-hmm. is like the first thing we know enough about to like be considered verifiably true. Yeah. I was just <laughs> fun. Most of our research starts in Wikipedia and then kind of tendrils out from there. And I was impressed to find a lot of sentences, including the clause she may have. <laughs> Yes, in her biography. She may have. 
<laughs> she may have been here doing this at such and such a time. Um, but this was coming like during and, and out of the uh, the Protestant like revolt, basically the Puritan revolt in England. Mm. So she's a royalist. Like she we'll talk about she this. She loves the king. Yeah, we'll talk about this a little later. She is not even though some of her work gets labeled, you know, with a kind of proto feminist uh, moniker. She has a lot of love for authoritarianism mm-hmm. and some dislike of modern liberal beliefs that mm-hmm. I think don't jive as easily with that label as some people might think. Yeah, and and she was like she was a spy. She was a playwright. She was like the first professional English female writer Mm -hmm. but that doesn't sound like it was very lucrative like she had a lot of trouble getting paid for her spy work that's why she became a writer because yeah like writing (laughs) then as now is not a way to make huge bucks you can make some bucks at it yeah very few people become like internationally rich and famous superstars because they were writing stuff and um yeah there's some there's some speculation that she suffered a bit economically for her political views because you know, being a royalist in this age was sort of going against the grain in a lot of ways. It was not like a way to make yourself popular with the uh, yes, with the she, common man. She wound up in debtor's prison at least once, maybe one or mm-hmm. two other times, and she ended up writing her way out of it effectively. And there was there was another time where she there was like a warrant issued for her arrest, but there's not any evidence that she ever served. But suffice it to say, she was. She was not making a ton of money off of this. No, uh, but she was churning out like a crap ton of plays for the she English wrote theater. Nineteen, yeah, I think um, she wrote in stage nineteen, and she continued to write. Um, like even as her health started to fail, and it was becoming hard for her to pick up and hold a pen, she kept she kept on writing. Mm-hmm. And this is during you know Charles II. He was known as the Merry Monarch, Andrew. Uh, okay. Not just because he was a happy guy, but like hedonism. Not just because of that. <laughs> but like hedonism and sex. Like his his wife never bore any children, but he acknowledged at least a dozen illegitimate children. Okay. And he was just kind of a freewheeling dude who loved <laughs> being king after a time when like the Puritans uh, took power and said, no more fun, no more sex. Like this is an 18 year Lent. All the theaters are closed. Like, let's <laughs> let's shut up about all the things we want to do. And Charles just kicked down the door when they invited him back in. Um, mm. So we'll talk about how sexy this play is. Ooh. Or Ooh, I can't wait. At least the quantity of sex in this play. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what else? I know some stuff about the rover. I know that there was a sequel that apparently was just called The Rover 2, uh-huh. <laughs> which is not. Well, not like a great name. It's it seems very modern now, though. Yeah, one in the of, age of like Zoolander two <laughs> and my big fat Greek wedding two. One of the things we don't think about, we don't give uh, history enough credit for, is that they were just as like sequel heavy as we are today at times. Mm-hmm. Like if you wrote a character that was super popular, you would just churn out plays and stories that we talked about this with the Scarlet like Pimpernel, Scarlet Pimpernel yeah. um, and Falstaff like Shakespeare wrote like two or three other plays that included Falstaff just because people liked him so much he's the breakout character he is he is he gets his own spinoff and mm-hmm. in this play you will talk about the character Wilmore who is the like sexual vagabond uh <laughs> who flaunts all the norms and it's rumored that he may or may not have been like lovingly modeled after Charles the mm-hmm. So he Charles II really liked the Rover and was, you know, part of why it was so popular. Yeah. Um, and then there were some, I found some names of some, like her earliest plays were called the forced marriage, the amorous prince and the Dutch lover. Um, these are all things she was working on at the King's company and the Duke's company players. Mm-hmm. Like that's what she came back to England to do after she was spying for a bit. And I just wanted to say that they all sound kind of like sex moves. <laughs> okay. That's I don't have like any other thing. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Well, the rover fits that and it's yeah. subtitled The Banished Cavaliers. It's <laughs> a sex move. Yeah. Do you have anything else cuz I have that one thing that I found while I was trying to 
find criticism of no i think I forbid, the only but... other thing to talk about is carnival but we can get into that when we're starting to talk about the play itself so okay what what else so, do you got sorry hit me all right so i i was looking for something because like you said our research starts at wikipedia and then it spirals out and um, there was somebody cited in that Wikipedia article as having called Afrobent a fourth-rate playwright, which is oh yeah, Harold Bloom, st- uh huh, yeah, which is a pretty strong criticism because you can't just say second-rate like second-rate <laughs> implies inferiority. Third-rate is like oh wow, and fourth-rate is like wow, man, why are we even reading this person? Uh-huh. Like it's there are three distinct tiers of playwright who are all better than this person. Yep. And I found, yeah, I found this Boston Globe article from 2003 by Harold Bloom um, that starts by complaining that a Stephen King book had won the National Book Foundation's annual award for distinguished contribution. Um, He says it's extraordinary, another low in the shocking process of dumbing down our cultural life. And like, okay, you can like, that's not that's (laughs) less judgy than we that's more judgy than we like to be on this show. Okay, because we like pulp crap mm-hmm. and uh, genre fiction as much as anybody it's true and then it kind of devolves into something that may or may not be like intentionally mansplainy and terrible okay um he starts talking about you know he starts talking about uh perhaps next year the committee should give its award for distinguished con- contribution to danielle Steele, and surely the Nobel prize for literature should go to jk rowling what's happening is part of a phenomenon i wrote about a couple of years ago when i was asked to comment on rowling I went to Yale University Bookstore and bought and read a copy of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I suffered a great deal in the process. The writing was dreadful. The book was terrible. As I read, I noticed that every time a character went for a walk, the author wrote instead that the character stretched his legs. I began marking on the back of an envelope every time that phrase was repeated. I stopped only after I had marked the envelope several dozen times. I was incredulous. Rowling's mind is so governed by cliches and dead metaphors that she has no other style of writing. Uh, But when I wrote that in a newspaper, I was denounced. I was told that children would now read only J.K. Rowling, and I was asked whether that wasn't, after all, better than reading nothing at all. If Rowling was what it took to make them pick up a book, wasn't that a good thing? It is not. Harry Potter will not lead our children to Kipling's Just So Stories or his Jungle Book. It will not lead them to Thurber's Thirteen Clocks or Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows or Lewis Carroll's Alice. Uh, so you may notice the beginning of a trend here where uh, all the authors no. that he's uh. recommending are all dudes. Uh, let's let's continue. Uh, later, I read a lavish, loving review of Harry Potter by the same Stephen King. He wrote something to the effect of, if these kids are reading Harry Potter at 11 or 12, then when they get older, they will go on to read Stephen King. And he was quite right. He was not being ironic. When you read Harry Potter, you are, in fact, trained to read Stephen King. Our society and our literature and our culture are being dumbed down and the causes are very complex. I'm 73 years old. Oh, wow. Really? In a lifetime of teaching English, I've seen the study of literature debased. There's very little authentic study of the humanities remaining. My research assistant came to me two years ago saying she'd been in a seminar in which the teacher spent two hours saying that Walt Whitman was a racist. That isn't even good nonsense. It's insufferable. (laughs) I began as a scholar of the Romantic poets. In the 1950s and early 1960s, I was, it was understood that the great English Romantic poets were Percy, Bysshe Shelley, uh, William Wordsworth, Lord Byron, John Keats, William Blake, Samuel Taylor Coleridge. But today they are Felicia, Felicia Himans, Charlotte Smith, Mary Ty, Letitia Landon, and others who just can't write. A fourth-rate playwright like Afra Ben is being taught instead of Shakespeare in the many curriculums across the country. Uh, recently, I spoke at the f- funeral of my old f- old friend, Thomas M. Green of Yale, perhaps the most distinguished scholar of Renaissance, Renaissance literature of his generation. I said, I fear that something of great value has ended forever. Today, there are four living American novelists I know who are still at work and who deserve our praise. Now, Craig, can you guess one or two characteristics that all four of these people have in common? Are, are they men and are they white? Thomas Pynchon, Philip Roth. Uh, Cormac McCarthy and Don DeLillo. I'm dead. I'm dead. I just died of misandry. So, <laughs> so this guy's like Andy Rooney rant. God, like it, it makes me. It makes me. I'm sure. And you and you were saying you were kind of struggling with the play a little bit, and you didn't know what you thought of it. You didn't. You thought some of it just was not funny, and this is you coming from 
a world where you're kind of familiar with how the beats of humor work yeah, in plays like sure. this. But then like when one of the biggest criticisms I can find is of some guy who's so clearly just mad that the dead white male canon is being <laughs> shunted aside in favor of literally anything else. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to, what are we supposed to do with that? I was just so, I was so mad at that whole article <laughs> that I had to read the whole thing. I'm glad you brought it up because I don't feel that way about this at all like i'm actually when i was my issues with this play stem from not knowing what's supposed to be funny and (laughs) not knowing what is or is not in good taste so Mm -hmm. i i haven't done like a deep dive on the language to assess whether or not like what rate wordsmith she is right okay maybe we'll get there by the end of the show yeah but i don't think that we should just like put this play in a box and light it on fire because a woman wrote it thanks harold bloom mm-hmm. <laughs> can we take a break and come back and talk about this play yeah let's do it craig yeah if you're going to host a website, don't use a fourth-rate host. <laughs> okay. Use a host like our friends at Squarespace. Okay. Why should I use them, though? Uh, because they let you make beautiful-looking websites with uh, easy-to-use tools that don't require you to know any dumb old code, any dumb old stupid old hard old code. So I don't have to pay someone else to make my website. No, you can just make it yourself, even if you're dumb. <laughs> even if you're a fourth-rate webmaster, you can make a good sco- good site with Squarespace. It would, do they have hit counters? Because as a fourth-rate fourth webmaster, I'm real interested in using a hit counter. I hope that they do, and they make. I hope they make it easy to join web rings. But Craig, <laughs> if I want to find out, if if our listeners want to find out more about Squarespace, what what do they need to do? Well, they should start their free trial. Uh, site at squarespace.com today uh, they'll get a free domain if they sign up for a year and when they do decide to sign up they should use the offer code overdue to get 10 percent off their first purchase yeah and uh, our site overduepodcast.com is powered by squarespace and uh, they are advertised on podcasts all over the place and i think rightly so like they just they make it easy to make a nice wedding website or a nice website for your creative project it's just pretty much anything you want to do Squarespace can help you do it. Yep. So uh, squarespace.com slash overdue. Or is it that squarespace.com use the offer code overdue. Don't be a fourth rate discounter. Don't be a fourth rate (laughs) coupon wizard. (laughs) Uh, Go to squarespace.com today. Squarespace. Build it beautiful, not fourth rate. (laughs) Make a website. Can you do that? All right, Craig, we're back. Oh, and I'm crap. I'm less mad a little. I don't know if you are. I took a walk around the block and I mm-hmm. shouted at some old white men <laughs> and, and <laughs> looked in the mirror and realized that I was going to have to do a lot of work to not become one of them. So the yeah. work starts here, I guess. That's the that's the struggle, man. Yeah, it is. Um, for us. Like we don't have any real struggles. Oh god. So we have to just concentrate on not becoming terrible. <laughs> oh man. It's a it's a <laughs> weekly process. Uh so this play takes place in Naples, and it's set in Naples during the Spanish rule, so there's a bunch of Spanish characters around. It's not just all Italian people, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's also an exiled group of British soldiers and courtiers, etc. Those are the banished cavaliers of the subtitle. So this is taking place in Italy during the Puritan regime of England. Okay. Now, this is important because it's Carnival in Italy at this time, Andrew. Do you, do you know what Carnival is? It's a big party. Yes. It is the, like... It's literally all I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was doing a little bit of research on it. It's the pre-Lenten holiday where you kind of just go, like, on an extended spring break and get wasted and have a bunch of sex and eat a bunch of food. It's kind of the like that same philosophy that says, okay, I'm going to start a diet tomorrow, so I'm going to just go nuts today. Yeah, totally. But maybe for like a month. <laughs> right. And I'm you wear, start a moral diet tomorrow. And you wear masks and stuff. So there's a bunch of reasons why Carnival came about. Like there are uh, kind of folky traditions or just folk traditions. I don't know why they're folky. 
uh, about like winter ending and you're running out of all your preserved meats, but like the some of it's gonna spoil <laughs> if you don't eat it right now. So you just gotta like shove it in your face before spring comes. Like when the power goes out and you have to eat all the ice cream. Just start... I'm just gonna keep bringing modern examples into here <laughs> to help everybody start out. Start chugging milk, uh, <laughs> and then and then you do that before spring comes. But then when the you know Christian church kind of took over a lot of these. Uh, pagan practices they jived it with uh jesus's fasting uh and the lenten period so it's like mm-hmm. okay well everyone's gonna fast and think real hard about their morals for a month and a half uh before easter so let's have a big party for like a month where everyone could just get all their sillies out and okay. then uh be real somber so <laughs> it also has this effect of you know, you're wearing masks, you're being goofy, you're upending social norms, you're kind of behaving outside of the social order. There's a lot of traditions of that, like, dating back for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think that's what undid the Roman Empire. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't really care. But Wow, that's a real <laughs> commitment to factual accuracy that you just displayed. Cool. I was challenging you is really what I was doing. I was seeing if you would rise not, to it. I'm just I don't have enough in me to like to raise to rise to that challenge. Okay. I'm just gonna let it slide this time. Okay, cool. But you're on notice. <laughs> so we're in Naples and we've got a bunch of characters uh that we're gonna meet over the course of the play, and there are three main plot lines that they're wrapped up in. So I'm gonna give you the dramatist personae. And like okay. what they're up to, then I'm gonna tell you the three different tracks that we're on, and then we'll hit a couple of the major plot points along the way. Okay. So we've got Florinda and Helena, they're sisters. Now Florinda s- suffers from kind of like generic uh, ingenue. I'm a good person. I'm sort of interesting, but I'm mostly just here for bad things to happen to me. <laughs> okay. The, her backstory is the dude she's in love with, Belleville, who's an English uh, soldier, saved her from uh, being raped in the Spanish Civil War, and now she's in love with him. So he's her hero, and that's their relationship. Bing, bang, boom. Right? Okay. So she's going to spend the rest of the play trying to get with Belleville. Her sister, Helena, is described by a lot of people as designed for a nun. <laughs> The play opens with both Florinda and their brother, Don Pedro, being like, you would make a real good nun. I think that same like epithet was also described, like used to describe Afro Ben yes. at one point. Yes, it certainly was. Cool. So Helena is excited for Carnival because she's going to go off and be a nun. And before she does show, she really kind of wants to participate in this. Like, It's like a rumspringa kind of thing. Like, she mm-hmm. wants to get out there and experience life. Hedonistic sex and meat party yeah. that <laughs> everybody has before Lent. Now, she might end up wanting to actually, like, fall in love and, and be with someone rather than be a nun, but that's a little bit later. So, the setup is now Don Pedro, their brother, wants to marry Florinda to his buddy Antonio. And then he wants to do it before their dad comes home because their dad wants to marry her to somebody else who sucks. <laughs> All right? <Okay>. And... <laughs> <laughs> his ski but and you're like oh okay pedro's pedro's looking out for his sister like she might not have a choice in the matter so he's gonna help find her a better choice well the thing is his buddy antonio is kind of interested in this woman angelica that pedro is also interested in so he's really just using his sister as a block to antonio okay. if he can marry her off to antonio then he will cease to be his rival Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like watching the '90s movie adaptation of this in my head, like starring right, a bunch of or teens. like the episode of Friends. Yeah. So Angelica is a courtesan. There's like the three things that women are the three roles that women are given at the at the beginning of this play are you're either like bound to be married, you're bound to be a nun, or you you know purvey your body to people. You're an anti nun. Yes. <laughs> Or or prostitute, but anti-nun works uh, in the context of this play. And Angelica's been charging, uh, she's put out this price of a thousand crowns a month to hang out with her and probably also have some sex. Probably. Probably. And people are really interested in it. 
but she has never been in love before, and she is just kind of like there as this object of affection for everyone in town. I guess I don't know if that's a good rate. Like, I just don't, I don't have any context. Um, it seems outlandish in the context of this play. <laughs> okay, but like, is, is she worth it? We don't. Is she considered to be worth it? Um, is it like, that's like a luxury branding thing, is sometimes people want it just because it's expensive. Yes, and she's like, she hangs these portraits of herself out in public that, to like mm-hmm. get everyone all excited. So ads. Yeah, she's advertising herself on the street. Okay. Uh, and people are getting really, really excited about it. I don't know. It sounds like her brand's on point. Yeah, she's doing a good job. She should. So far, I'm a big Angelica fan. Okay. Uh, so that's the bulk of the Spanish people living in Naples. Then we have, or other Italian people. Then we have Belleville, who is the English guy that I mentioned before. He loves. Flor- and he likes Florinda. Yeah, they're gonna be together, but they're like he has no money. So he and he's English, so he doesn't have like a quick route to getting in their family. Florinda is like the name of a witch in a <laughs> video game or something. Yeah, my autocorrect kept uh, making her name Florida when I was <laughs> typing up notes. And I've been like trying to put in the ends as I say them out loud as I go through my notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Belleville is hanging out with a couple other British guys, namely Frederick, who's just like kind of a buddy. He's just around. Good old Fred. Uh, and Ned Blunt who is like a doofus on a sexual mission. Like he's the guy who goes down to New Orleans with you and he's like, I'm not going to remember any of this, but I'm just going to have sex the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like that's his, that's his deal. He's also wicked rich and they refer to him jokingly as their banker. So like they're keeping him around to make fun of him and use his money. Okay. All right. Cool. We all have that friend. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Basically. Right. <laughs> uh, and I think I feel like there's another Ned Blunt somewhere in the Shakespeare canon who is far less sexually dumb and misguided. He's just kind of like a guy who exists. You think that's like a specific kind of character? Like I know we've talked about plays in the past that have like re- these really codified archetypes, yeah, for different characters to be. I'm not sure if he fits into a particular Del Arte trope, and that's certainly okay. not woven into the rest of this play, but mm-hmm. it's possible. Um, okay, and then as I mentioned earlier, there is Wilmore, who is he's like a mix of Captain Jack Sparrow and like George Clooney from Ocean's Eleven and Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Like he is <laughs> like attractive to everyone and completely inconstant in his affection. Okay, and based on the list of characters I'm looking at, he is the titular rover. He is. They literally call him the rover when he arrives. Okay, like, <laughs> oh, the rover's here. Like that's mm-hmm. his deal. Uh, so all of these people kind of get mixed up. There's also I mentioned earlier Antonio. I didn't give him as as full of a description. He is Pedro's buddy. He's competing for Angelica's affections, and he is the son of the viceroy. So he's probably the highest status character in the play. Okay. Um. And the three main plots of that all these people get wrapped up in are how and when will Florida, excuse me, Florinda and Belleville get together? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> that was not on purpose. Gotcha, out of correct. Um, who will end up with Wilmore, if anyone, Helena or Angelica? We'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of a third plot called Ned Blunt sucks. Like that's. That's my that's my plot for him, <laughs> and I can I can uh, yeah we'll we'll touch on that along the way. Um, so we'll just dive in here. Move me along as you get bored of all the sex that's going to happen because definitely I will do that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the play opens up. Pedro's trying to marry off his sister. She doesn't want that to happen. She wants to marry Belleville, and after Pedro leaves. The two women decide that because it's carnival and they can wear masks, they're going to go out into the city in disguise and try and, like, get with Belleville and and make this work for Florinda in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Um, They're trying to marry her to Antonio by tomorrow, effectively, uh, because otherwise dad's going to come home and marry her off to an old guy. It's not a lot of lead time. And I also like the idea that 
like if if you get married to somebody who dad doesn't like, it's cool because you like you just did it. You beat him to the punch. <laughs> uh huh. Oh, she's already married. There is. Oh, I guess I lose multiple times in this play. There are people who are like, well, if we get married right now, then they can't do anything about it. Like it's I mean, it's the 17th century. So I guess once you're married, you're married forever. But right. <laughs> Which makes it even, seem even dumber to do it like. On at the last minute, like maybe kind of to make your dad mad. Yeah. Well, that's what, yeah. She's not marrying for spite. She does love this guy. Okay. But they have to escape wrathful dad to do it. Okay. Okay. Got it. So then all the English guys show up in another scene and Wilmore shows up. And he's like, hey, let's have some sex. Let's have a good time. They basically look around and go, <laughs> they see all these Italians like running around in masks. And some of them are dressed as cuckolds, which is like they have horns on their head. And they're just like, wow, these Italians are down to clown. Like, this is going to be a good time. <laughs> and this woman, Lucetta, comes up to Blunt and is like, hey, let's, uh, let's, hey, you look good. And, like, mm-hmm. leaves with him, and everyone's like, oh, he's a doofus. That's going to be funny. We have to pay attention to that later. Uh, <laughs> and, as long as he can pay for everything later, then yeah. we don't really care what he does. Um, and so then Florinda and Helena arrive as gypsies. They're dressed as gypsies. Okay. And what happens is Helena falls for Wilmore. She finds him witty. She finds him attractive. And they strike up a conversation, and he finds her witty and attractive and interesting uh so there's like a lot of verbal repartee between the two of them and she is kind of because she was on track to be a nun she's kind of excited about how like inconstant and flaunting of of normalcy he is right okay um so she that kind of is her it's not a meat cute because he's kind of a jerk but that's basically what that is so like Angelica, you said earlier, has she's like described as never having been in love. Yes. And possibly that's part of the reason why she's a courtesan. Is that am I reading that correctly? Yeah, it's it's Do we get could be one or the other. It's kind of a sure. catch twenty it's a chicken and the egg situation there. Yeah, right. I think. And do we get any kind of sense of that with Wilmore? Like is, has he just never found a woman who he likes enough, or is he the rover by choice? Like is this just the life that he wants? There's a there's a a worldview behind his roving where he finds a lot of hypocrisy in uh morality. Okay. So, you know, the idea and that he's you, probably not wrong. <laughs> at one point he says, like, you would betray nine commandments to to adhere to one uh so like you and i think he unfairly characterizes this specifically of women uh which is also part of it there's a lot of like what do the genders expect from love and relationships in this play but his argument is hey to to be that settled down and that constant and true to someone means i'm gonna have to break a whole bunch of other rules and laws and betray people and i'm not down with that so i'm just gonna live my life all right i can respect that uh so it's not until act two that we meet angelica and again another scene opens up with people in disguise everyone's in disguise the entire play i don't (laughs) like i don't know how this would work you have to design it in such a way that you can tell people are in disguise but that you can still tell who the actors are Otherwise, mm-hmm. I would just lose track completely of who people were without like <laughs> seeing their names on the page. Uh, and Antonio and Pedro, who are supposed to be friends, um, they don't know that they're both approaching Angelica's house to like, you know, have her. And they get in a fight, and Pedro realizes that it's Antonio, and it's like, oh no. Oh, no, this is bad. We're supposed to be friends, but no, 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 no. Uh, So they get in a fight, and then Pedro runs away. And then Wilmore shows up and is like, hey, that's a picture of a pretty lady. I would like to get to know her. And Antonio's like, no, you will not. And they get in a fight. And then there's Mm -hmm. stage directions about how the English and the Spanish get in a fight, and everyone flees. Uh, And it ends with Wilmore being invited in by Angelica. Hmm. 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 
Mm, I wonder if he's going to have to pay the thousand crowns a month rate or if he's going to get a little something for free. Get this. He gets paid. Whoa. Yeah. So there's like a long courtship scene where he is extremely witty and charming, does a little bit of negging in a way that I'm not totally cool with. Like he basically points out the the flaws in her abstinence from love while I've got it I mean I've got to imagine that a rover is a 17th century pickup artist yeah right? yeah he's what is that book the the gift the magic the art of the the art of the steel what is it PUA book oh god I'm looking it up hold on Ugh. popular POA books just the game is yeah one? the game oh, the game god he's just that guy Oh, I like Wilmore even less now. Neil Strauss. (laughs) No. So after that long scene, she is now in love with him. They have sex. And then Mm -hmm. she gives him some money to go, like, around town. Cool beans. Like... It's like cotton candy money to go out and spend at Carnival? Like, what what does he need the money for? Boozing. Boozing? Boozing. Jeez. Okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So the ne- <laughs> uh so then we are in act 3 um we're still worrying about how Florinda's going to get with uh Belleville Helena can't stop talking about how she's really into Wilmore but then she is like in disguise and hidden as she hears about Wilmore having sex with Angelica so mm-hmm. she's getting all pissed about this cuz she's like well I thought that guy was cool I was dressed as a gypsy he was super into me and now he's with this other person, and I'm jealous. It's on the game, baby. Yeah. Even though I like the fact that he's, like, not a normal, uptight dude, but I'm jealous of the person. Ah, so. I just want him to be not uptight with me. Exactly. Is that so much to ask for? Exactly. Uh, so, during this scene, uh, a servant comes up to Blunt. We're tracking Blunt through this whole thing and says, oh, let me find the quote. My brain, just like unbidden, keeps trying to assign different roles to all these people, like different looks and roles to all these people based on your descriptions of them and the descriptions I'm reading. And right now I've settled into something that's in between like Assassin's Creed meets Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically it. I don't yeah. think I think that uh that design would work really well. So Blunt is a trust fund baby, you can trust him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Wilmore's in there too. He's up in that. Oh mix. my god. He's he's basically David Diggs should just be Wilmore. <laughs> um so this like page comes up to Blunt and is like uh he's talking about this woman Lucetta who Blunt was with the other day and he says, Sir, my lady expects you. She has removed all that might oppose your will and pleasure. And is impatient till you come. So she's naked. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Like it's just a booty call. Can you like booty calls used to be delivered by people? Think about that. Mm. <laughs> you used to have to send your servant to deliver a booty call. It's a telegram. <laughs> a singing booty call telegram. So he runs off to go do that. And meanwhile, we've got the like people in disguise still hearing about Wilmore having sex and being interested with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Helena overhears about Wilmore, she then confronts him and gets him to swear to never see Angelica again. Lo and behold, Angelica was in disguise listening to this and gets super mad. Okay. Right? I, and I bet he totally, like, he seems like the kind of guy who would totally make good on any promise that he made anybody. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, definitely, definitely oh, yeah. do that. He gets, yeah. he swears to multiple things. Um, and then Florinda gives Belleville like her picture to be like, hey, it's me in disguise. Come meet me later. It'll be totally great. So mm-hmm. they're like their plot is advancing slowly but surely. It's just it seems like there's nothing really in their way. They just have to like make it happen. And everybody else is creating this complicated sex triangle or yeah. s- square or just like a web, <laughs> like a sex web. The, the big obstacle. All in. Yeah, the big obstacle is Don Pedro and his attempt to marry off Lorinda. So they haven't quite figured out how they're going to solve that part. Okay. Um, and so here we get one of the weirdest things that happens in this play is Blunt shows up at Lucetta's house and he's like, hey, yeah, let's, okay. Ooh, you're in a bed. Cool. And then the lights go. I like beds. Then the lights go out. <laughs> 
and there's mm-hmm. a scene where he can't find her and he's like where did you go where did you go and then he falls down a trap door and the, and she steals all his stuff and her that husband seems... who she claimed oh. was gone and is like definitely her pimp like it's like oh we took all his money great and then he like is in a sewer swearing off all womankind and so she hates them. Miss Mariah Reynolds, and he is—he. I don't think there's a Hamilton for him. I think he's just an idiot who doesn't have object permanence. <laughs> he's just a. Sex the light went out. Where did you go? He's just a baby. Oh no! Um, but so he—I can't see you now. So you must be gone forever. Yeah. This this woman who is he was totally down to be with as a prostitute turned out to also be a thief, and she steals all his stuff, and he's humiliated and has to crawl out of a sewer to get home. Uh, so that I don't even know how you would stage that in the 17th century, but I think you would actually have a trapdoor. You would, but how, would you? Con- you'd have to connect it to the bed. You'd have to have a trapdoor bed. Or I guess if if you made, I guess now you could just make all the house lights go out. Yeah, and then have like sound effects, and then have like a wily coyote like falling off a cliff, and then like sound a effect. toilet. Yeah, and then a toilet flushes or something. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. All right. Moving on. So then here's where the the play starts to take some turns, and it doesn't really look... Oh, it hasn't taken any yet? No, it hasn't taken any yet. Okay. So Florinda is awaiting Belleville. She gave him her picture and is like, hey, meet me here. It'll be totally great. Who shows up? Drunk Wilmore. Okay. Now, Drunk Wilmore is a sexual animal and does not know Florinda, thinks that she's a whore... And proceeds to attempt to rape her, or at least cool. have sex with her in a way that she has not given consent to, so thus it is rape. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure those, like, <laughs> I don't know. That probably did not factor into, like, 17th century logic. Well, but she's, but... not his, but she's like, I will cry rape, stop. And oh, he okay. does not. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, I didn't know that they actually had, like, made it explicit. Uh-huh. Before, but great, good. Uh, so then Belleville comes in last minute and stops him and is still friends with him hey man yeah that's cool yeah um we all like everybody from time to time it happens to everybody it's really it's really weird uh, then like then pedro and the spanish are around and uh wilmore gets in a fight with pedro uh and then he gets in a fight with Antonio and like for Angelica's sake so he wounds Antonio runs mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. Antonio thinks it was Belleville who shows up because he heard of the fracas and Antonio's like hey listen I won't punish you if you fight my duel for me because I'm supposed to duel my buddy Pedro for Angelica this is very very 90s sitcom yep because everyone's in disguise, and that's the only reason everybody's confused. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And if everybody would just take a second to, like, check in with everyone else, it would be fine. Yeah, so, like, Belleville wills, wins the duel, and Pedro gives him Florinda as a prize, but Pedro thinks he's giving her to Antonio because, you know what I mean? Because Belleville's... Yeah, because of disguises? Yeah, and then uh, he, like, pulls... Florinda's side he's like hey don't worry it's totally me we just got like married secretly and nice he's got his mask in his hand and Wilmore walks in he's like dude what's up and totally <laughs> like totally puts him on blast and Pedro sees what happens and like oh no that's not who I thought it was and takes uh Florinda away um and away from her beloved which is not cool. okay uh the the we got to wrap up the Angelica, Helena, and Wilmore plot. Yeah, and then like let's wrap up the plots real quick, and then just move yep. on to what you thought of this play because it does it does seem very complicated. It is very complicated. Uh, Helena shows up dressed as a boy to like resolve a conflict between Wilmore and Angelica. Um, Angelica ends up multiple times swearing Wilmore to go away, like basically banishing him from her sight. Mm-hmm. They end up together at the end of the play, Helena does with him, by promising to be as inconstant as he, as he is if he will be constant to her. Like, there's like a, she is defying the, 
you know, the expectations. Is she basically saying like, I will screw around with other people as much as you decide to? Uh, not, not that, but I will be more predictable than, uh, less predictable than you think I will be as a partner and I will, you know, challenge you along the way, et cetera. Okay. Cause inconstant. Yes. Is kind of a loaded word yes. in that in that context. Yes. She she basically gives him an out to be a little bit of who he is and not fully settle down, but she really would like him to put a ring on it. Uh, okay. After the God. So the other big the the blunt and the Pedro Belleville Florinda plot come together where Florinda is running in disguise from Wilmore again who does not know that it's Florinda, ducks into a house where Blunt is staying, thinking that it's Belleville's. Blunt then tries to sexually assault her. Then Frederick, <sighs> who up until this point has been a totally cool dude, comes in. It's like, oh, here's here. Oh, there's a harlot here. And she's like, you know, not doing what you want to. Mm-hmm. I'm game. I'm game. And then and then Belleville comes in and is like, I don't uh what's what's going on, guys? This isn't cool. That ring she gave you to like stave off your advances is totally my ring. She's mine. And they save her and she excuses them. And what? No, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's we kind of wrap up from there like and you know Antonio's off doing his thing. Frederick gets married to the servant of Helena and F- Florinda. Uh, Belleville by saving uh, Florinda from the advances of these dudes impresses Pedro, so he gets to be with Florinda. Uh, end of play. Neat. Or is it? Or is question it? Mark. And then you one. have to stay to the end of the of the bows to see the special bonus scene that yeah. sets up the sequel. <laughs> so you can. When I said I wasn't sure how to feel about this play, it wasn't like, is it good or not? Has talking about it like helped you sort out your feelings about it at all? Because I find it often does with me. It's because it sounds like it sounds. Like, it has problems. It also sounds like it has a lot of the problems that you would expect a play of this vintage to have. Yeah, and so I'm more confused by the the late 20th century revival of interest in this play and how that might jive with modern audiences. I think, I think there's a way to see this play as the women have as much agency as they can given their circumstances and actually mm-hmm. affect change in the world around them, particularly Helena. Uh, and none of the men look good in this play. That's true. None of them do. Uh, and so I don't think it is like rolling around like a pig in mud in the sexual adventures, you know, like this is all good behavior. Like this is all super cool. It's, played for laughs at times like blunt is certainly played for laughs but then it'll just on a dime at least to my modern eye and ear turns into like wow she is in great danger for her life and her body and that's not great yeah it's just like this was supposed to be a comedy and a and a common thing about restoration comedies is like they had a lot of sexual content yeah frank sexuality and i just i wonder I am I am sure that your modern sensibility is putting in some of this like, oh no, she's in danger. I am right to be like scared for her stuff. Like, yeah, it, it feels like probably pretty consistently this was supposed to be played for laughs. I don't like I can't say that for sure, but given what I know about old timey people, what? probably mostly this was supposed to be funny even when it doesn't feel funny to us now. Well, and I was reading some reviews of recent productions and one like totally acknowledged that uh the guy playing Wilmore was hilarious even when he was about to rape someone. Like <sighs> which is just not does that does not sound cool to me. 
another review of a recent production at Hampton Court said, It is a feminist production, but one which is determined to show women as active explorers of their own needs and desires, albeit in a world of double standards, rather than just passive victims of potential rape by libertines. Uh, And that that is the interesting thing about coming at it with a modern perspective is you can choose to stage it in a way that that amps up the the feminist stuff. Yeah, certainly like plays and plays the oh, look at all these terrible men stuff like for laughs. Yeah. And and kind of I I think you can successfully render them as caricatures without diminishing the impact of what's being discussed. Like, you can lampoon them without uh, making light of what's happening. Yeah, um, but it sounds, like, either way, it sounds pretty fraught. Yeah, I I bet there are good productions of this play. I don't know if I would attempt to do one, necessarily. Was there was there anything else that really, like, fell flat or stood the test of time for you as somebody who has read a lot of Shakespeare and is really, like engaged with 17th century playwright to an extent that i absolutely am not (laughs) uh i think a lot of the disguise stuff is really smart and really well done helena in particular is kind of a fascinating character who gets a lot done as a gypsy and is able to match wilmore wit for wit but also when she comes in with this speech as the page boy and tells Angelica that she tells the story of a woman left at the altar and the guy who left her was Wilmore and she needs to, you know, forsake this guy because he sucks. Um, Actually played pretty well. And there's some good language in that scene. Um, And I'm, I'm, we just did as you like it. We're doing as you like it at the theater I work at right now. And Mm. I think, there's a lot to be mined with that kind of gender fluidity, especially in the modern era in a way that is successful. Uh, kind of uh, plays that hold up the expectations of various genders and question them or have a character inhabit other ones uh, is something that's been going on for centuries and, and certainly is going on here. One of the things that's not happening in this play is women would have been playing the women as opposed to in Shakespeare's age. So there, there isn't that extra layer of, of disguise or right. um, other or things. Comedy, or comedy, because I'm sure that stuff got played for laughs. Yeah, well, it was, certainly. Um, there is, there's a struck me funny, Blunt says this word all the time. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. It's sartlikens, sartlikens, shark. Okay, and what, is it, what does it mean? Well, the other the other pronunciation I was going to give you is shartlickens because that's kind of what it looks like. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it means. No one knows what it means. It kind of is used as like a a god's wounds, like a zoons. He says it almost every other sentence. Uh huh. As just a yeah, a bazinga, like. <laughs> Holy cow, eat my shorts. I caramba. <laughs> uh what what are the other things that the turtle Did I turtle do that? turtle time. Cheese. Autobots roll out. Like he's just I don't know. It's it's a really What'd you talk about, Willis? <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense and the only reference to it I can find on the internet is this play. <laughs> so he, he, I mean, he must have said that, and like the audience just ate it up. Oh, like, oh man, that's that's what I came here for. Sart, that's the catchphrase. Sart likens, and you get it on t-shirts. Oh no, care of my tunic with my blunt catchphrase on it. <laughs> so you get it on bustedtunics.com <laughs> back in the day. Uh, and Wilmore, just to say, like I think Wilmore. There are characters like him. I referenced Barney in particular because I feel like there are these. Th- that's a stock character that we are very familiar with, like one who is uh, very polyamorous and kind of purposefully flaunting what we deem as good behavior, mm-hmm. but doing so in a way that's charming and designed to make you laugh. Uh, is that's been going on forever? 
And I, I could see that being like, well, we want more of him. Let's write another play, please. Yes. Uh, he's a Rover 2. A Rover 2. Coming summer 2017. <sighs> so I'm glad I read the play. I'm, I did not know what it was. And now I know who is and roving and what they roved to and from. <laughs> and if I see the play ever, I know what I'm in for. You, just, you didn't know that it was a sexual rover. I didn't know, actually. You might have thought that he was just like an explorer or somebody who had like itchy feet and just had to keep going. Well, he did in a way. Yeah, itchy something. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. If you would like to tell us uh, your favorite sitcom catchphrase, like Bazinga or Sart Likens, you can <laughs> write those in to overduepod at gmail.com. Or you can uh, write them on our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash overduepod or twitter.com slash overduepod. We had a lot of great reactions to our uh, Choose Your Own Adventure last week. So thanks, everybody, for that. We always we love making them. And there's always that moment right before it goes up where I'm like, are people into this? <laughs> We've gotten a couple requests to like do a standalone Choose Your Own Adventure podcast, which like we don't, I don't think, have the time to do unless... We were hired like just, by Choose Co. To unless do it. our readership like stood up as one and said, "Okay, stop doing bonus episodes and do this choose your own adventure thing instead." Yeah, I don't know. So it might I guess, ruin the like, magic make your for voice me though. Heard if that's if that's a thing yeah. that you like. <laughs> uh, people who made their voice voices heard this week include Erica, Rebecca, Blair, Catherine, Taylor, Sean, Lena, Christine, Sophie, Carminked. Rachel, Michael, Stephanie, Karen, Tysavine, Alex, Kim, Julie, Corey, Melissa, Patty, Renee, John, Brittany, Teresa, Annie. And we got some wonderful emails in from Katie, uh, Zenas, and Tara. A couple people saying that they like almost got into traffic accidents while laughing at things. Be careful, as please. As long as it's almost. <laughs> as long as it's almost. Andrew, we were talking about websites earlier. What is up with our website? Well, it's I can say it's Dynomite. Oh, my God. All right. If you want to see more about the show, you can go to overduepodcast.com, which is where we have links to iTunes and our RSS feed and our Stitcher page. If you subscribe in iTunes, do remember to rate and review us. We keep getting those and in at a steady pace, and it helps the show rise in the rankings, and it makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, you can also find links to HeadGum, which is our podcast network, and a Spreaker, our podcast host. If you'd like to support the show, we have Amazon links up on that site that you can use to click through and like buy the books and read along. We also have a link to our Patreon project, which is a way that you can support us in kind of an ongoing basis. And we also, uh, this week, I think we'll let it ride for like another week, right? As we have a, we have yep, a yep, um, yep, yep. poll for merchandise going where you, we have a few designs up there and then a few merch ideas and you can tell us which ones you like best. You can tell us if there's anything that we've missed and, yeah, already we've gotten a ton of responses and it's been great. And they've like, I think we need to do stickers. Definitely, that's been a very yeah. common request. Like we're we're getting ideas that we would not have had ourselves. So we're gonna leave that up for another week, and then depending on the data that we get, we will use that to make some merchandise that we will then sell. Um, you can find out more um, on our Facebook page or our Twitter feed, and I'll, I'll we'll tweet another link to those out this week, so so people who missed them last time can see them again. Andrew, what's going on next week? I think we have some guests next week. Uh, next week we have a we have some guests, but it's not in the uh, it's not in the normal fashion, I suppose. We are we are actually doing a Freaky Friday style switch up for April Fools. Our yeah. friends, yeah, with our friends Margaret and Sophie at Two Bossy Dames. We are going to be writing their newsletter uh, that comes out on Friday, April first, yep, I think. Yep. Yep. And they are going to be recording an episode of Overdue that goes out the Monday after that. And Craig, do you have the book that they read? Yeah, they did Flowers in the Attic. I think it's by VC Andrews. And they were yeah, both so very they, excited to read it. Yeah, they just gave us the audio like right before we started recording. I'm very excited to listen to it, and you should be too. And then uh, the week after that, um, I'm going to be reading uh, Mr. Peanut by Adam Ross. Okay. <laughs> Which is a book that I, it's a book that I bought in San Francisco at a bookstore because it was like a recommended pick by the, by the staff. And I really liked the, like the first sentence of it. Okay. So 
uh, that'll that'll be fun. I think we'll I think we're gonna have a lot of fun in this little podcast in the weeks leading up to your wedding. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a good time. Uh, and if you if you wanted more information on Two Bossy Dames, if you if you haven't subscribed to their newsletter, head to at Two Bossy Dames on Twitter, and you'll you'll get all the information that you need. I think they have a Tumblr and all that kind of stuff. Just Google that phrase that I just said three times, um, yes. and it'll be great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Andrew, thanks for talking about uh, sitcoms and sexual escapades and uh, Harold Bloom. I'm glad we put him on blast. Oh, it's no problem. How are you doing? Ugh. <laughs> Could you be any more frustrated with me right now? All right, everybody. Uh, These pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> uh, try to be happy, I guess. That's our catchphrase. Okay, bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.